Hey people, welcome to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe that another world is still possible and that together we can make it happen. I'm Manda Scott, your host at this place on the web where art meets activism, politics meets philosophy and science meets spirituality, all in the service of conscious evolution and increasingly in the service of finding a way through to a future that we would be proud to leave to our children. And so often in these conversations, we end up in a place where I ask about how the future might look, and people say, it depends on us building communities. And then the conversation kind of withers out because I ask how, and we don't really know how. But today, I am talking to two people who really do know how, and who are doing it in real time, on the ground, in the city of Derby, in the English Midlands. Jamie Quince Starkey has worked with cars and planes and trains, making all of them. And as you'll hear, he had an epiphany while gardening and having that genuine connection to the soil and the land and the sense that he wanted to be part of the solution and that making planes might not be that. And he set up Down to Earth Derby, which does what it says on the tin and is becoming a catalyst for the most extraordinary movement within the city of creating the circumstances and the situations and the practical down to earth concepts that allow people to reconnect to the land. And with Jamie, we're talking with Ross Nicholson who is founder of Neo Journeys, which works to mobilise a 15,000-plus international network to co-create the right conditions for sustainable products, services and business models to flourish. Ross also lives in Derby and is being part of the keystone that helps the extraordinary dynamism of the community that Jamie is building to connect with the people who talk in terms of money and stakeholders and have visions of five and ten years plans, and want to make change, but are so hidebound by the political and bureaucratic structures that they don't really know how or exactly where they're going. And so Ross is there to help create the catalytic vision that Down to Earth Derby has become, both for the city itself and as a model for anywhere in the world. This is one of the most inspiring conversations I've had. And given the state of the world at the moment, that's pretty good. The sound is not perfect. Caro has done her very best. Jamie was in a car on the allotment. And actually, I think under the circumstances, the sound is remarkable. But just let your ears adjust to the fact that it's not entirely perfect. So as we go there, people of the podcast, please welcome Jamie Quince Starkey and Ross Nicholson of Down to Earth Darby. So Ross Nicholson and Jamie Quince Starkey of Down to Earth Darby, welcome this wonderful spring morning to Accidental Gods podcast. How are you both and where are you both? At Ross first. I'm very good. I'm in just south of the Peak District National Park in a place called Brailsford, Derbyshire, Derbyshire Dales. And for people who aren't familiar with UK geography, that's basically the kind of slightly north of the Midlands of England. Okay, and Jamie, you just come off the allotment. Tell us where you are and how you are. Yeah, um, I'm in my car because I need soundproofing and yeah, I'm in the allotment car park looking at some trees, which is quite nice actually. It's a nice little view. I've got everything plugged in to make sure I'm all good. But yeah, I'm, I'm good. And the allotment car park, tell us where that is. So that's in Derby City Centre, um, between actually probably the most busiest roads into the city. And you wouldn't believe it if you were here. You wouldn't believe it. It's very nice and peaceful. In terms of the calm? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's totally calm. Not at the minute, though, because there's a JCB next to our allotment plot. Okay, hence the soundproofing in the car, which is cool. Alrighty, so guys, you are both integrally involved in Down to Earth Derby, starting with Jamie. Can you tell us how it came about and how you brought it about? If I've understood correctly, you basically instigated this. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. Mm. So Down to Earth is a project I found three years ago, well, three or three and a half years ago from my back garden. The only way I can describe how it was found would only would be an epiphany. I had an epiphany in the garden and it came about from my own conflict. Uh, as in, I build aeroplane engines for a living and I'm, an, and I'm a nature enthusiast. Um, it's quite obvious uh, conflict there. Yeah, and, and that kind of conflict got to me a bit because I love going out for walks, I love growing food. Um, I found a lot of solace and I've found a lot of mental health and physical health improvements from being out and, and a bit of a spiritual impact as well, if I'm honest. We watched these documentaries these environmental documentaries that we see a lot now and it's all about the doom and gloom and it's all about how bad humans have been on the planet and how we're destroying our environment and it's all very very negative although very good at um explaining the the the, the message and part of me as a shop floor fitter i've worked on cars planes and trains i've worked on it, i've worked in all the industries in derby um, and I've worked with all the kind of shop floor fitters, working class people. And I know how they feel about things. And I know how how hard it is to, to feel like you've got any power to make changes. Because of a lot of, the, a lot of the conversations that we have these days, unfortunately, and without going too deep in them, is that people say, why should we bother? You know, like, why should we bother doing anything? Like, what's the point? which is heartbreaking and and I was and I was in my garden one day after finishing night shifts and feeling a bit like that and feeling like overwhelmed and disempowered with how much of how big the job is to put things right and I um I had this epiphany in the garden after working for three and a half hours hands in the soil and that people who garden will know how much how amazing that makes you feel it really does. It just makes you feel amazing. And um, I thought, why can't we just share this? You know, like, why can't we just share this little this little piece with people and make it really accessible? And and, and the point hit me when it was, we're, we're disconnected with nature. We've got a disconnect with nature and we need to reconnect people with nature. And if we can reconnect people with nature, then that's half the battle. Um. So that was where Down to Earth kind of started in the back garden and it was making nature more accessible and it was like, how do we do that? Because <laughs> that's just one thought and it was like, how do we do that? And the first thing that we were like, well, people digest content, much like what we're doing now. And we were like, well, well let's get a camera and let's just, let's just use our phones and let's just film things and let's just film the impact that we're having and film how amazing it makes us feel in a down to earth way. And yeah, it, it went from there to getting an allotment plot and, and then it was mates and then it was mates of mates and then it was and then it was like people who just seen what we were doing on social media and they were gathering around us and we it was very intergenerational and and then we had people coming for walks because we want to take people out in the peak district because not only is it about growing food in a bit of a controlled environment, but you need to feel the the bigger aspect and, and that bit that you can't control and being at Mother Nature's mercy. And, and accepting that that's a very big point so you got these two things and then we had a social media community kind of grow out of that we've got a allotment community that's grown out of that we've got a ramble community and then we've got down to earth crew that kind of just gone we want to get involved in this and then so that that's kind of how it's kind of grown and it's it's been an absolute monster if i'm honest it's been amazing and the growth has been like exponential and then covid happened and then when COVID happened, it kind of made me go, I need to really think about what I want to do because I planned a lot of stuff, planned a lot of talks, planned a lot of events, planned a lot of programs that I just couldn't do anymore. And it made me really realise the problems that we face that we need to be doing stuff about now. And they need to be quite, quite big, but also in a down-to-earth way. <laughs> and it was like, it was a bit of a reflective moment for me because it made me go, actually what am I doing this for and I had this dream and I have this vision of, of 
doing something like Eden Project, which is a massive inspiration for me. You know, like it's there, it's been there 21 years now, and it's an old disused Chinese clay pit quarry. And now it's got an it's got an Eden in there. It's got like and some amazing. It's amazing, like you know, if you stand on top of that platform and you look down into this old disused quarry pit, and you can see all that growth. You know, like it's so inspirational, and it, it, that's something that lit a fire in me and made me think. You know what? We're in Derby, center of the universe, and we can make things happen here. Like we can make some amazing things happen here. And and I know the way that people think, because I am them people. I know how the community feels about how they're being uh, represented, represented, and we know how important nature is. And it's kind of created a, a very perfect um, list of ingredients that, if put together correctly something really magical can happen in Derby and I believe it is and and yeah so that's that bit and then I had this vision and you know what Covid a lot of people just went you know what am I doing like I need to chase my dream and I need to make something really happen and I've been able to build my own self-belief in in what I've been doing with what I've already got with no money behind me and, and I've had a lot of people kind of engage with it and I've had messages from people saying you've saved us you know and that how overwhelming that is which it is when you hear that it's like you don't know what to say you've got purpose to to fulfill that service and you can't you can't back out of that so for me we've had the allotment we've had the rambles and the stuff that we've done talks filming event wise and the social media stuff it's been very conceptual and we've learned it works you know this is what people want and it's made me go, well, the big vision of building something akin to Eden Project in Derby, why aren't we doing it? So I sent an email to Tim Smith um, quite cheekily, and he asked me if I wanted to come meet him and his senior team down in Cornwall. That was two years ago, two years ago in summer. I went down with my wife, met him, and waffled much like I'm doing now. And uh, he was like, yeah, I love it. He was like, I love what you're doing, love what you're about how can I help you by the way I've got no money and I was like well just be my mate if you can just be my mate for the time being and he went well I'll go one further and I'll I'll, I'll help mentor you if you really want to do this so that was two years ago two years down the line been able to create an amazing team and we're starting to put put things into practice now and starting to make network and connections with people who actually can make what we're talking about happen and obviously, I know I've been talking for 15 minutes now, so I'll be quiet. No, I frankly could just let you talk for the rest of the hour. It would be fantastic. <laughs> um, there's quite a lot of questions arose out of that, which I will come to. But we also have Ross as part of the podcast. So, Ross, you introduced me to Jamie and you told me some of the real inspiration of his story. How did you come to be involved with Down to Earth Derby? The uh, the link's really simple, actually. Um, it's Tim Smith again. Um <laughs> Tim Smith's in my wider network. So my bit of my background, potted history, is that um, I've been sort of broadly in the sustainability space internationally for about 17 years. Um, I'm from Derby. I happen to study design and architecture as well in Newcastle. I returned from living in London for about 15 years, about five years ago. And architecture, met Derby, met sustainability, met Jamie, met Tim, I suppose, <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, sometimes things are supposed to happen and it did. And I'm absolutely delighted. Uh, so yeah, it was last summer. Um, I was down at Eden project with Tim and my company, Neo was doing, um, looking at doing various bits with him and we we're chatting about, you know, he'd just been come out of the back of the G7 and, and all sorts. So fascinating conversation with him. Um, and anyway, just, we just got down to sort of joined the dots and he said Derby go speak to Jamie um so I got back we we're having a coffee in the uh in the bear cafe in the middle of Derby and I think the journey of forces really is that Jamie's done an amazing job in three years in building a movement he got about six thousand plus well that that stage he got about five five thousand people locally that um were inspired by what he was doing and involved in what he was doing and, you know, my job was to, to come in and help scale that. Um, I'd grown one or two sustainable businesses before, et cetera. And, 
and he needed capacity as much as he needed strategy. So we spent last year getting the house in order, you know, doing the boring stuff in the background, like making sure we were legally set up properly, making the accounts are all all set up, and then so that we could go into this year with building network capacity uh, in the city, building friends and uh, mentors and all the different stakeholder groups um, in the city to to take what we're doing, which is being an independent catalyst for nature-based regeneration in the city. It's how we frame ourselves and to be able to scale it. And, of course, if you've got a vision of Derby as a great place to live, and we mean happy, healthy, everybody's well-being is cared for and a proud city and that that can be a thriving blue and green economy so a sustainable city then to go from allotment to community garden there's a big gap between there and a city that is fully sustainable and regenerative and and what have you so we'll, i guess you're going to ask us later on about how we'll get there um so i'll wait I'll wait for that moment. Yes. Thank you. Yes, because I definitely do want to ask you how. But I want to go back to Jamie for a couple of questions. Really basic things first. So for people who aren't familiar again, if you already had a a movement of 6,000 people, that sounds huge to me. I wish we had a movement of 6,000 people. How big is the city of Derby? What's your population? I think, yeah, it's 250,000. Yeah, nearly. Okay. You said we know how the community feels about how it's represented. And then Ross said we wanted to build this sense of being happy and healthy and proud to be here. And it sounds to me as if there was something of a gap between those. Can you say a little bit more, Jamie, about how the community did feel about how it was represented? Where did that settle? I think when I first started down to earth, I felt fed up. You know, like this the whole reason why I did this is because I was fed up. I was fed up of food we were eating, how we worked, what our entertainment was, fed up with our actual spaces around us, community centres. For an example, right now, right, there's community centres, there's one behind me which is the allotment site, and there's a West End community centre which is down the road from me. And both of them haven't been updated. One of them looks like from the seventies. And one of them from the from the early nineties. So, if these spaces that are for the community aren't being updated for the people of the city, as people progress through life and how things change, then they're not supporting them people, you know. And you don't even need to look at that. Like, we're all people who live in the UK. Society wise, community. The community feeling and the community essence is absolutely dropped, you know, like absolutely dilapidated. You look at COVID, how many people are isolated? We haven't got out of a pandemic, right? And and what has the pandemic shown me more than anything is that all these problems that were there have just come to the surface. It's just made them more more apparent. And there's a there's a mental health epidemic, you know, like there's a mental health epidemic. There's all these issues and everything that we kind of do. There's no labels to what down to earth is, you know, like we can try, we can do our best to label it. And because it just flows and it's organic, it will never happen. And I think that's the best way. Obviously, me and Ross, we, we do our best. <laughs> we do our best to label it for the people that need we need to explain it to. However, that doesn't happen. And people come in. To Downsworth to be part of our community, not because of health and well-being, not because of whatever we might be offering. It's because they just want to get involved with something that is they might be into. You know, like we've had people on the plot, and I know I'm and I'm going in, I'm like digressing a bit, but we've had people on the allotment talk about grief in a way that I would never be able to talk to one of my friends about grief because of not being going through that at the same time as as these guys, and they just, because they've got their hands in the soil next to each other, not opposite a psychologist, right, they can just get through them things because they're in an open playing field. And I think that's really important. And and that's the capacity that nature has. And we have to 
we are part of nature's community as well, you know. Brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. That's what the entire Accidental Gods project is about. It's so wonderful to hear that this is happening in an, a genuinely organic level with all meanings of organic. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit more deeply. But before that, I want to have a look at the actual logistics because other people listening, I hope, will want to go out and do something similar. You call yourselves a catalyst and there's no reason why the more we get this message out, this couldn't be happening in every community around the country. So when you first started this, if I've understood, you had a job, you were making planes. Now it sounds to me like it's full-time making down-to-earth Derby happen. So how did that transition happen? That's question one. And question two is you went from your garden and now it sounds like how how big is the allotment? Because an allotment can be like three beds or it can be 300 beds. How much physical land are you working with at the moment? What does it feel like? Give us, paint us a word picture of where you are now as you're heading towards your Derby Eden idea. Okay. Good questions. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll start with explaining how I got where I'm at now doing this full time. By the way, it was probably full time whilst I was working another full time job, whilst I was also looking after two kids under two. Wow. So it's been pretty heavy. Yeah, it's been it's been full on. Like I've got I was working a three shift pattern and had two kids, um, one of them born during like the peak of COVID. And uh, yeah, so my wife, she's birthed two kids and I'm still birthing one. We're down to earth, that's what I like to say. I'm sure she really appreciates that. I know, I know, that's why I say it. Yeah, so I basically went down to see Tim a year later after he, we kind of connected and uh, he was like, come on then, tell me, what's the crack? So I went down with our team at the time and we went behind the scenes at Eden Project. We seen how things were around. We had a great time. It's really, really lovely just to spend some time down there and really see how it went off and kind of talk about our ideas. And, and we sat down with Tim and had a coffee and he goes, right, mate, where are you then? What's what's happening? And we kind of explained things, kind of explained the conversations that we were having with the county council, city council, different uh, organisations within the city, how we were building, how we had to jump through the hurdles and jump up the stages. And he was like, nah, you've got a great idea. He was like, you've got a great idea. You've got us behind you. You've got an amazing, amazing concept. You just need to go on for it. And I was like, all right, that's great. What do we need to do then? He's like, well, you need to build a business proposal. I was like, okay, cool. He was like, well, you need to do this with a business proposal. You need to do that. You need to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, Tim, that sounds awesome. But I have got two kids, a job, full-time job, and a community that I'm kind of like helping and looking after during COVID. And he went, oh, okay, well, how's about I send an email to Rolls-Royce for you and see if we can get you off work? And my jaw hit the, hit the air. My jaw hit the table. I was like, what, what do you mean? And he was like, well, yeah. He was like, well, I work, we, we do work with Rolls-Royce. And um, I've never asked for a favour of them yet. And what better favour to ask than to get you subconded and looked after? So, Tim sent a email to Warren East, who's the who's the head head director at Rolls Royce at the minute. And probably the best email if I have that email as my C V, I'm sorted for life, I think. And that's that's really sorted me out. Honestly, I don't think any, anyone said so many good things about me. So send that email to Warren East, twenty four hours Warren East responded, basically saying Got loads of time for Jamie. Of course, we'll sort that out. We'll get a year off sponsored for him. So I was like, wow. Tim rang me at night. I remember I remember actually Tim rang me at night when the email came through. It was about five o'clock and I was getting ready for a night shift and I just went for a nap with my daughter. Honestly, you can't believe these things. And Tim was like, how amazing is that? I was like, yeah, it's great. And I was like, cough in a daze because I was like, needing to go to bed for a nap. I was like, it's great, mate. Then I went to work and I wish I didn't go to, didn't go to work. I wish I went to the pub. So that was that. And then, yeah, October the 1st, I've been doing down to work full time, um, which has been absolutely crazy, 
crazy ride. It's been the crazy roller coaster. Um, but yeah, so the allotment, the allotment plot, what we have at the minute, it's two allotment plots put together with a boundary of uh, wooden posts with chicken wire on it with two sheds. Um, one of the sheds we've got painted with our down to earth derby mural on it that uh, an artist has done, a local derby artist has done, which we're really proud of, that she she basically is an environmental artist and she gets old re recycled re reusable paint that people just leave in their sheds. And she makes amazing art with it and it's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. So we've got two sheds. We've got tools that we've been sponsored by Draper Tools from. We've got an amazing perennial plot. As you walk in, we've got a, on your left-hand side, you've got a willow a willow dome that's been weaved by one of our one of our guys. Because we've got an amazing team of gardeners and growers now, like people who are really passionate about what they do. They don't do what they do for money; they do what they do for love. And we we're so lucky and fortunate to have this amazing crew of people together. Like we are a family. And yeah, so there's a perennial area which is a lot of fruit fruit trees, herbs, shrubs and stuff like that. And then it's a bit formal. So we've got some more formal beds. And then right at the bottom of the plot is compost, a compost area. So, yeah, it's probably 30 by 20 metres in, in length and width. It's come on leaps, that space. And it's been, I'd say, you know what? Down to earth is more than spaces. It's more than gardens. I've been thinking about this over the weekend. It's more than that. It's, it's the people that we've got together uh, we can we can go do gardens wherever we can go bang things up wherever it doesn't matter it's the fact that we've got this kind of collection of people together it's really important and now we've done a garden at a event space within the city which is one of the most renowned event spaces within the city which is banging like the guys did that in a day they just got all the gear they did it on the cheap and they've smashed it, and it's brilliant. So people go to this event space; they can get the photo in a nice, nice environment. And then to to go on top of that now to progress that um, is that we're looking at setting up some more stuff with the city council, um, some more direct action community green spaces. Because just as good, just as well as allotments are, and as great as they are, uh, they only they're very niche, and they're very echo chamber, and they're very very to themselves and if we need to get people into green spaces and we need to get people integrated into community we need to revolutionize you know like we need to revolutionize how we see how people garden and grow food and connect with nature because we did that you know we did that when the public parks were first announced and the first national parks were first announced which happened in derby it's time to do that and update that and upgrade that for the next level which is something that we're really keen on doing Perfect. Beautiful. Thank you. So, Ross, coming back to you, it sounds as if part of your role in this is being an intermediary between the, the raw energy that Jamie brings and the slightly less raw energy that city councils might have. And so I'm interested in the politics. Partly, let me turn this a bit, I'm trying to write a book of 2024 of what happens if we, if we make it. And part of what I'm realising is that we're not going to make it with the existing political structure because it's too slow to get change. It's too laden down with people whose entire emotional, mental and spiritual framework was set somewhere in 1960. And, and they're still in place because we have government of at local and national level of old people with old ideas. And so I'm wondering, is, does Darby completely kick that out of the park and is it full of young, vibrant people who'd completely get it? Or how are you otherwise getting through to people whose mindset is still concrete in roads and cars? Does that make sense as a question? Yeah, it does. And I, but I think we're hitting this at quite a good time. I think we couldn't have done this five years ago. At least it would be much more difficult. There is something about the sort of, whether it's the zeitgeist, whether it's just, I think Jamie mentioned it earlier about the last two and a half years that we've all been through that actually made us stop and actually change our relationship with the world around us. Um, people who just didn't then 
disappear into the wilderness and start hugging trees, although that had been nice. But I think equally, we're not in a position where we're throwing something at people that they don't get, they can't relate to in some capacity. Joe mentioned accessibility. This has to be accessible. And it's accessible to those people who run public departments, in councils, in businesses, etc. They all get it. They're not devoid of kind of emotion. <laughs> These are people who are seeing what's happening to the world and actually aren't switching off and becoming somebody mm-hmm. else when they get into an office, if they, were going to, if they were going to an office these days. But something has definitely happened in the last two years that has acted as a catalyst to take us to this point, and it's helped us. I think there's the other flip side to it. Again, we frame as an independent catalyst. That's all very helpful when you're having conversations with certain stakeholder groups. But actually, we're a movement. And this is going to happen anyway. So even if there was really, really big resistance in Derby, it's coming. So you you better get behind it. Actually, in Derby, full credit to the vast majority of people we've spoken to with who hold the power, they do get it. We, we're getting to the point where they have to go, we get it, our hearts are in it, our minds are in it, now shows your wallet. Um, but we are months away from that. And, and what that, to talk about the boring money side of it, what that will give us is that it will give us the momentum for the movement to grow from 6,000 to 60 to 600 um, and to help other cities, right? Yes. So, you know, it isn't a them and us in Derby. I've, that's not been my experience. And we have networked massively in the last year. The beauty of Derby is that at 230,000, 40,000 people, you can get around it pretty quick. Physically, it's not a big place. You can get around it pretty quick. You pretty much get to the point where you're in six degrees of separation mode. And our story's landing really well. So I think we couldn't have done this as quickly for lots of different reasons. We couldn't have done this five years ago. Yeah. I'm also wondering whether it's to do with the geography, because as you say, Derby's quite a small city. It always reminds me a bit of Edinburgh, whereas... I grew up in Glasgow, which is a big industrial city. But in Edinburgh, you can see green wherever you are. It's got Arthur's seat in the middle and you can get out to countryside really quickly. And Derby's in the middle of Derbyshire, obviously. And I used to go climbing in the Peak District and it's God's own rock. It's the most beautiful place to be. And so people who have either been born and chosen to stay or have moved to Derby are there already, I'm wondering, because they're connected at quite a deep level to the natural world in a way that would be harder for people in the middle of Birmingham, say, or definitely in the middle of London or New York or huge cities around the world? That's question number one, and that's for Jamie. I'm also really curious, Jamie, where the Eden Project, are you now going to find a disused quarry somewhere just outside Derbyshire? Or what does your Eden Project vision look like? So first off, is this a a Derbyshire unique thing, or do you think it can be replicated in any city? And second, tell us a little bit more about Eden and Derbyshire. Cool. So I think coming to the accessibility thing that's really important is that you no, know, we have got the National Park on our doorstep and the city has got some nice public parks. However, it's not just physically inaccessible, it's psychologically inaccessible to the marginalised communities that make up the city and, and, and the communities of Derby okay. and I think no matter what urban environment you're in you, you, we are getting disconnected from nature you know like we are being separated from it and people are starting to go we're not actually part of nature which is shocking because if, if someone like us in this conversation now we would say to people would stand on that soapbox and go you're a part of nature, you know, like this is this is the environment, you're that. And they'd go, shut up, you hippie, go hug a tree. And you know what? Why would they, why wouldn't they say that? Because they haven't had the integration that we've had with nature. And it's really hard to go through them steps, which is what we do, is going, 
we don't tell people what to do and change. We show them by just being us and just being about and just getting involved and just enjoying it, having a laugh, having the banter. And people go, you know what? I can. They see me, which is this is the blessing and the curse of Down to Earth. They see me and they go, I can imagine playing football with him. Well, maybe not anymore because I'm semi-retired. They can imagine playing football with me. They can imagine uh, going to the pub. They can imagine working with someone who's doing this. That's going to empower these people, which is really important. So we've got people who, in our group, right, some of them come from Nottingham, some of them come from Birmingham. They see all the issues that we're all about and we're trying to resolve. And going back to the next part of, of, of your question, um, the Eden projects kind of thing, it would be great, wouldn't it, if we could just bang a load of Eden projects up and down the country. However to integrate them into communities and, and other people without just banging it on there and saying, hey, well, this is for you to enjoy, without them having to say so, it, it won't work. And and one of our first, my kind of first thoughts was to, to get a quarry and do something in Derbyshire. But as times progressed and COVID progressed and, and our conversation progressed and, our, and we've distilled this vision and tweaked it as it's grown organically, we've realised there isn't a need there. The need is within the city. The need is in the urban environment. We need to rewild people, right? We need to actually rewild people by connecting them with nature because by 2050, the majority of populations are going to live in urban environments. So we need to get that urban environment to be as natural as possible. And it's all well and good rewilding places and, and giving farmers carbon credits to, to bang trees on their on their fields. Yeah, all, all well and good doing that. But we'll still sit in our cars and sanitise our hands and and, and just sterilise ourselves from the outdoors and take pictures and go, oh, that's really nice out there. Not walking barefoot. We're not we're not embracing nature and, and living in symbiosis with it, which can sound quite far afield and can sound quite radical. But there's a transition to get to that point, And that's what we do. We're about making that, that point. We're about taking people on that journey in a way that isn't, shoving it down their throats it's bringing them along for the ride and these people will enjoy that yeah you're not trying to lecture them you're not trying to patronize them you're giving them something and they find the value in the something rather than being told that it's good for them by somebody who's white middle class and and has a big car and can go to the countryside which is brilliant and beautiful thank you so ross back to you you talked about networking a lot about being able to get to the six degrees of separation and about building a movement so it's happening anyway and it can go from 6,000 to 60,000 to 600,000 to the whole nation, hopefully, because everyone is six degrees of separation somewhere and then we get to the whole planet. Have you had a sense as you've been working through this of an acceleration in the spread? Are we in an exponential growth curve now or is it still one conversation at a time? I think at a Derby level, it's multiple conversations. To your point about the makeup of Derby, that you can, it's, it's not quite a touchy-feely place, but it's certainly somewhere you can walk from one side to the other side of the city in 25 minutes. And that's really important. So it, there is something going on there that actually makes it accessible in all senses of the word. Mm. I think we're not the pioneers here. We hope to be pioneering inside of Derby, but there are other cities doing great stuff as well. Um, and our aspiration is to be a blueprint for perhaps those that are a bit further behind us. And we work in unity with them to help them get to where we're at. But it's also about us learning from those other cities too. So, um, no, it's, it does feel exponential uh, in its growth. And... There is not one stakeholder group that we haven't spoken to that isn't behind us on this. But their point, point Jamie made it, to, if we take it back to an individual level, yeah, there are, there is, there's a whole group of people living in the city who won't care about this. Or, but there's a, we're convinced there's a group of them that do want to care but have no idea how to get involved. Right. And that's back to accessibility at that level. So, you know, we have as we talk about the concepts that we're developing, so how we go from allotments and 
um, community gardens and we say community gardens sort of 2.0 because we know there are challenges with that model right through to helping the city become truly sustainable and regenerative we have to do that in small steps so we're doing it with the community and not at them um and i think in the city we're being seen as those that can do just that that we can create scale but we're not going uh from community gardens to this catalytic organization that leaves that behind it absolutely has to be about bringing the community with them how you do that so some of the things we've got we've got earmarked and sites for um are things like a botanical bar right so you know it's the new social and so you're introducing people without them changing their habits at all they're actually starting to get connected with okay i get that that sounds that tastes interesting smells interesting the experience is different a result mm. what and this stuff came from around the corner right okay came from around the corner what you mean i could grow that you know window sills etc most people have got a window sill um and that's where it can start so really important that we do it that way and we we wouldn't do it any other way would we do it would we Jeremy? It's just that's just kind of the way we're going to do it. This is absolutely with just back to the movement. And it's back to this is how we build community. I've been running this podcast for two and a half years now. And pretty much when I ask people, how are we going to get through this pinch point in humanity? They all say, well, we need to build community. Pretty much you're the first guys who are actually doing that. And I'm I would love to unpick it, but I suspect that there is no unpicking. It's just that you're incredibly authentic you absolutely care and get the need to create this and you have the feeling of what it is when you put your hands in the soil. And just by being that, the community builds then because people resonate with authenticity, I think. So, Jamie, coming back to you, first of all, does that feel fair? And then I have a new question. Um, There's a guy called Tim Gill or possibly Jill who... Uh, he's got a book just came out about this time last year called Urban Playground, How Child-Friendly Planning and Design Can Save Cities. And I was very impressed with his work. And he says that children are the indicator species for a city, that in the way that salmon are in a river, if you've got salmon swimming upstream in the river, then the river is healthy. If you've got kids out playing in a city, pretty much unsupervised, then it's a healthy city. And And he has examples of particular places where that is the case and an awful lot of examples where it isn't. Um, And I'm wondering, are you getting kids coming and really wanting to put their hands in the soil and and watch stuff grow and do all the things that that we did when we were kids that modern kids seem not to get to do? Is that that happening? Mm. So, yeah, to to answer firstly um, and on, on Ross's point and kind of goes back to one of our earlier conversations in this is, is it the community sense? It's not just us, you know. Like, and and we we can kind of separate ourselves from the authority and the governance uh, and then bodies. However, we haven't got time to to beat us and them. Like, we have to integrate, and we have to. Five years ago, um, actually, when I did that first clip for the film that we did, when I was saying all oh, how fed up I was of being not represented, blah blah blah. If you said to me then what I know now of these people that we're in conversation with and how supportive behind us and how optimistic I am, honestly, I would have gone, jog on, mate. That's never going to happen. They'd never look after you. They don't care. They don't want to do this. And they're us, you know, like they care about the same things, unfortunately, because of how um, democracy works in these this country. And... Um, and the bureaucracy and how compartmentalised everything has become, there's so many gears in the machine that it's really hard to break down them things to get to the things that they want to do that actually got them to do the job that they wanted to do in the first place. You know, like, that's the reason why they did this, because they wanted to make changes. And then, and then like, what we've seen, like, with policymaking and blah, 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 and they're, they're on board, you know, like, they're, they're, they've basically turned around and said, how can we enable this? How can we make this happen? Because what you're, what you're about is everything that we want to make Derby about. And to hear that from people who are the chief executive of the city council to 
um, people who are leading and, and running the the university and the colleges and all this is is absolutely incredible. You know, like that's some of the some of the ingredients that we need to make this happen, um, which is great. And then to answer to the second part, um, getting kids involved. You know, like just I think we we can aim for kids. And that's good to aim to get kids involved, and 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 that does work. There's a lot of good projects that aim that are doing that work, especially in education, in, in schools and running programs. But then, me personally, what I found is the best thing is to get the parents, because if you get the parents, then the then the parents will get the kids in at a young age, and then if the kids are getting in at a young age, then it just becomes part of them. It's something that I say to myself a lot, and I still reflect on it. And I never will, I'll never will be this person. But I, like my kind of, one of the sayings to myself is, is you've got to be the person that you want your children to be. You know, you've got to be that role model. You can't have Cristiano Ronaldo and Usain Bolt being the role model for your kids all the time and, and influencers and celebrities. Like it's, you've got to be that person. And as embarrassing as you, you are as a parent and as your kids will see you, you will still have a massive impact on how they how they become as a human as they grow up and develop hmm. and you need to just be that person you know and and that's a way of being that's an actual way of being it's not you, you'll never tick that off because always and as a parent you always you always go you know what i'm not good enough like oh god i wish i did this wish to that and part of that we just got to get rid of we've got to get rid of that thinking and we just got to be and uh, i think that's really important but yeah i think a lot of that stuff that we want to do we're in the city I went along the riverside, so we, we've got the River Derwin that runs to the peaks from South Derbyshire to, to North Derbyshire that runs to the Peak District through the city. The city has its back turned on the river, which is crazy. You know, like the whole city is on one side of the river. And then we've got this amazing river with river gardens with one of our spaces that we're looking at the top. And, as, and I walked out, and Ross, you'll, you'll like this as well. Like I, I walked there on Saturday. There was no clouds in the sky. And you've got a bus station that isn't the prettiest. And there was kids playing on the river garden and there was nothing. There was nothing for them. There was nothing to do. And it's obviously where the kids, are, the mums and dads are waiting with the kids to get on the bus. And it's just plastic floating about and like burger boxes and stuff along the river. And you're just like, is this really what we can offer? You know, like, is this it? Is this what we're going to give people? And is this what's going to inspire them to make changes? And then it hit me and I was like, imagine if we just put an outdoor playing area along the river, obviously be safe, along the river and, and it under under sails, under canvas, so kids can be there throughout all seasons, plant it up, make it look really nice, make it really natural. Then parents who are waiting for the with the kids to get the buses, you know, they've got a, they've got a reason to start coming into the city in a bit, a bit more for them. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of, a lot of a lot of um, communities within the city that won't actually be able to get out of the city. And I know how hard it is. I've got two kids under two and to get them prepared to go out for a walk takes longer than the walk. Like it takes longer than the walk. And then you're like, flipping out, like, oh, it kind of, you kind of don't want to do it. You know, like there's something that just makes you think, you know what, I can't be bothered. And I think you're right. It does coincide with the change. One thing we are fortunate I think with this, um, with down to earth as a movement is that we are hitting it at the right time, as we said earlier. But one of those reasons was carrying up on what Jamie was saying is that the city is completely changing. Most cities, the high street is completely changing. People are still going to be living in cities in greater numbers, but the experience of a city is going to fundamentally change. So the economics of the city is now changing and actually the big change that um, those leaders are realising is that there is great value in green spaces mm. uh, and the balance of green spaces and live-work accommodation. You know, these hybrids that are coming up now, it's great. They get that if you build an apartment block right in the middle of the city and they've got access to green space or even rooftops where you could buy, where food is being grown that I can go to and see my stuff, my, the stuff that I buy, my groceries being picked, and I can walk from there and have a coffee on the way back. And all of a sudden, we become a pretty cool city. 
but yeah, the dynamism of that, or sorry, the dynamics of that is changing significantly, and that works in our favour. Um, so I think it's important. Yeah, you know, the hearts and minds are there for sure. The leaders get it, but actually, there's the business case to back it up now. Right, and I'm guessing also there's the C40 movement. There's the donut city movement. There's a whole bunch of cities around the world that are locked in nations where the leadership of the nation might be you know, desperately trying to restart fracking. But at a city level, we've got city planners, city leaders, city councils who really want to be, as you said, regenerative and sustainable. Is Derby, do you think, connected into other networks like this? Or are they relying on you to give them the vision? Because it seems to me just to expand the concept a bit, that what when people really want to do something, they often don't do it because they lack the vision of what's possible. They only have the ideas they already have, and if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. And they need fresh ideas, and somebody coming in and going, yeah, but we could do this, and it would work. And then if the, the it would work feels plausible, they'll do it. So is Derby linking in with other cities that are trying to create regenerative urban environments or are they kind of doing it with you in the the derby bubble we're going to be the catalyst is that word again to to those connections beyond derby um uh, through my other business i know c40 well and uh, uh, and lots of others um so and in fact we're going to be we're going to be linking uh soon to somebody in our network who happens to be from the 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 Midlands area who actually supported Singapore in their development to create a participative economy, which led to you know cars being taken off the roads, etc. etc. So hopefully we can make the the link there to lots of other cities around the world who've got the knowledge and know how to get it done. And your second point on aspiration, um, Eden have been fabulous in that, in bringing our vision alive through fantastic images that they've created and scribbled whilst we've been downloading what it could look like and to give something visual to the leaders that just made them go, wow, we could do this. It it definitely massively increased their belief of what could be done. Um, and there was a question that was asked by one of the council to us. They certainly said something around, but how do we do this? I said, all of this has been done before. None of this is new. To your point about connecting with other cities, it's just about learning from other cities. And for those that we can connect you with anybody you need to know to get it done. So it's almost a, I couldn't quite answer the question. <laughs> It's just like we're not we're not creating something new. It's everything. It's just we're creating our version of it. Exactly. We're bringing it home to Derby, but this is stuff. We're just putting the pieces together, assembling them in a slightly different jigsaw than the other jigsaws that already exist. But this is stuff that people have done. Yeah. And then you can go to the other people and go, yeah, but Derby's done it this way, and and that's how we get the I think the momentum building mm. for exponential change is that everybody. Yeah builds on the shoulders of the people who are doing something similar. So we're heading down to the end. Thank you both. I desperately want to come back in two or three years' time and see where you're at. But as a kind of precursor to that, Jamie, this season of the podcast is leading up to something we're calling Throughtopia, where we're trying to get writers in to write the 2030s as they would be if we made all the right choices now. And what are those choices? So if you were to look forward eight to ten years in Derby and everything that you could possibly imagine now had come to pass. Can you tell us how Derby would look and feel? And I know this is an experiment and very likely it won't happen, but just give us a concept. I think um, it'd be the feel more than anything. It doesn't matter what how it looks. For me, it's more about what people are thinking. And I think that's very, very important because the where we are now is that people say that never happened Derby. Nothing ever happens in Derby. Nothing ever happens here. Why should we bother? Blah, blah. And so to answer that, my thing would be people would go, what's next? Like, where are we going to go from here? Like, that's amazing. Like, they, I can't believe we live here and, and I can't believe 
I want to bring my kids up here. You know, like that's what I want. I want people to come to Derby and, and set up their businesses here, come for the amazing university degrees they can come for because the education system here is amazing. And then obviously you, you've got the industries that are the industrial giants that uh, support the, the workers of Derby. But I would love to see Derby become a full circle garden city that is in the future, you know, like bringing the future and, and is connected with nature. You know, like there's no point making it difficult is keep it simple. Like everybody has a relationship with nature and it just becomes a new normal. It's so amazing that that would change the world. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I, I came across a meme on Facebook today, which said, uh, it's from Alder Leopold. We abuse the land because we regard it as a commodity belonging to us. When we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect. And I wouldn't, I would think we wouldn't begin to use it at all. We'd begin to live with it and ask it what it wants. And then the world would be a completely different place. And if Derby could be the leading edge of that, that would be astonishing. Um, so Ross, as we're closing, if people listening to this were inspired and wanted to pick up the same threads as you are in their cities and their communities. Have you got anything that you would recommend that they, they do as a starter? Listen. Listen to nature, listen to the community around them and stay with that. Because again, back to the one thing that we're not going to lose is that where we started. This is a movement across the country, uh, we hope. Uh, and even beyond that, but we start small, start with what we've, the, the reason we're not doing the quarry, you know, although we had a conversation about it with somebody who had a quarry, he went, Hey, you should come and do this. We start small and we bring everybody with us. And such is why we're doing allotments to community gardens, to small concepts around the city, but lots of them that are interconnected. It's difficult to do a one-off and then have people believe that that's the way things are going to be. Right. It's having an interconnected vision, and you take it one step at a time. Yeah, and the, the big thing about Derby is belief. I'm totally with Jamie on that. Eight years from now, if suddenly there's this undercurrent of belief that anything's possible, yeah, then we've done it. So it's 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 building. You have to build belief over time. Yeah, and I have an image of of a playground all the way along the river, and people are coming on the buses to bring their kids to the playground. Their kids aren't just playing because their their parents happen to be waiting for a bus. I think that would be completely amazing. Well, I say yes, and the fact that we we keep talking about kind of making those parents, making adults feel like kids again. Yes, yes. Having that sense of the world is a playground and we can enjoy that sense of creative excitement rather than just drudging through the days trying to get to the next day without having too much of a catastrophe that would be that would be brilliant okay guys i think we're done thank you so much unless there's anything either of you wants to add as a last thing then thank you for coming on to the accidental gods podcast a pleasure we could say get in touch Okay, we'll put all the links in the show notes for sure if people want to get in touch. I suspect that will happen. All right, thank you both. It was wonderful. And that's it for another week. Wasn't that a completely inspiring conversation? It certainly utterly cheered up what had otherwise been quite a distressing day. It seems to me that this is the core. Building communities by listening to what they need and what they want. Helping people to have a pride in being of the land and with the land, and then creating such momentum that there is no way that the people who might otherwise stand in the way can stand in the way, but also they don't want to because they can see that this is a future that everybody wants to get to, where we are happy and healthy and proud of where we are. So if you can see any way that you can get out and begin to create something like this, in your immediate community and your immediate environment, then please do check out the links in the show notes. Get in touch if you need some help because the help was offered and see what you can do. In the meantime, we'll be back next week as ever with another conversation. Thanks as ever 
to Caro C for astonishingly wonderful sound production and for the music at the head and foot. Thanks to Faith Tillery for the website and the conversations that make this alive and worthwhile. To Anne Thomas for the transcripts. And, as always, to you for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. And, as always, if you know of anybody else who would really like to be part of creating community in their time and their place, please do send them this link. And that's it for now. See you next week. Thank you, and goodbye.